Uh, we have a great service plan for you today. Um, it's just incredible to be together with the family of God. Amen. Uh, who all was at Breakthrough last weekend? The Christian conference. It was awesome. It was about 9,000 people all gathered together in an arena, praising and worshiping God, going to classes, strengthening up our faith, and uh, getting all that fellowship time in. There were a lot of dances. I know the campus had some really cool, fun things going on. Endless summer, right? The singles had like a uh, casino uh, <laughs> that's had a Christian, no real money, but it was a James Bond theme. Everyone was dressed to the nines, really dapper and looking gorgeous. Uh, but we just really want to welcome you to our family. We're the West Side Church, and, uh, and we're really excited you're here. If this is your first time visiting with us or if you've been here a couple times before and you're thinking about whether or not to make this your, uh, your church home, uh, we'd love to have you here and, and pour our love into you and uh, show you the love of Christ as well. Uh, we've got a couple of special announcements. I'm going to invite the Browns up, um, who are going to uh, let us know about a baptism that happened last week. Please, please welcome them. Good morning, church. My name is Raymond Brown, and here's my wife. And with me, coming up still, is our small family group of marrieds. And uh, the Bible does say that in heaven there is rejoicing when one uh, lost soul returns back to God. You know, two weeks ago, uh, in our case, we had a twofer because uh, a couple here, newly married, Sean and Chandra, got baptized. And I know for me, uh, Sean has been a refreshment for my soul, just uh, being able to study the Bible with him in the last couple months. So here is your new brother and your new sister. And my wife at this time will share briefly about Chandra. I'll make sure it's brief, I've been told. But it definitely is a privilege to be able to share about this amazing couple. And uh, being in the Bible studies with Chandra has been amazing. In a, few, uh, in a few short months, it has been amazing to see Chandra <laughs> transition from being a woman searching for unconditional love, to being a, a woman firmly planted and rooted in God's love. And it has been an honor to be able to be your friend and to introduce my new friend to all of you guys today. Amen. The hills. Amen. All right. And then uh, another special thing we got going on today, uh, we've had a guy who's um, been studying and uh, has been go going through some restoration studies to be restored um, in his faith and, and to our fellowship here. His name is Noel Mubag, if you could welcome him as well. And yeah. Jack's coming up to study with him. Well, I'm always encouraged about uh, the message of the 99. Uh, it talks about in Matthew 15, 4, that uh, uh, wouldn't you leave your uh, 99 in the open field and go after the one? And then also in uh, uh, Matthew 15:3, uh, it talks about how uh, aren't you happier when you bring back, restore the one than the 99? And uh, although it's great to be the, uh, part of the 99, there's great joy in bringing back the one. Um, studying with, uh, it was a great joy to study with uh, Noel and seeing his heart being transformed. Uh, uh, newbie and uh, uh, Turnwell and I uh, enjoyed uh, just his heart, see his heart change and uh, seeing him uh, wanting to glorify God uh, with all his heart. Uh, 
Don't well, thank you. No, I'm sure. You got my name right. That um, well, I was um, I became a disciple way back in 1997, and it was the best experience of my life. I have met so many sincere people, that you, you know, really great relationship, friendship that I never had when I was not a disciple. So that really blew me away when I started studying the Bible. That I had no doubt I was in the right church. So right away. I signed up, became a disciple, really got into it, down my knees and everything, even had the honor to baptize three people and disciple them even. So it was really amazing, just did things that I never thought I could. Um, then something happened two years after, my friends started leaving the church, and that kind of affected me so tremendously that I became like them too. I left. And that was in 2000 and after that everything went spiraled down and things become very difficult that I had no hope already. Got so tired. Um, got so tired of planning that never works out. Started looking for friendship that never found. That just reminded me of what I had. So, um, sister invited me to church again. This very same sister invited me the first time I became disciple. And Veronica, she's right there, um, invited me again. She said, "Well, it's time to go back to church." And right away, I said, "Okay." <laughs> and Sunday came. I'm here. And. Sunday after, he introduced me to this awesome man, Jeff. And that love started pouring, and that was the re main reason I come back. I wanted to get that relationship. But throughout the study, something changed. Um, my motivation changed because God revealed something more that I missed the first time. You know, those great relationships that I had with brothers and sisters, kind of outshadowed my relationship with God that I never did nurture it in my heart. That when those friendships failed, I failed in that. So when they came back, God really revealed that in my heart and it really hurt me that much and missed him, the very center of our church. So second time around, God is always gracious and always second chance giver make sure I'm going to find all my help that I can get to make it happen. So I'm counting on all you guys. All right. Join me in uh, praying for Noel. Uh, Father God in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, that you uh, pour out your grace and your mercy on us, Lord, and that you are always by us, God, always by our side, always reaching out for us, calling to us, God. Um, and if only we would just have ears to hear, God, and eyes to see what you're doing, God. Uh, but for Noel, thank you, Lord, that you've opened his eyes and helped him to come back to you, Lord. Uh, Father, with, with, uh, with new uh, lessons in his backpack, God, about life and about your grace and about who you are, Lord, as God and Father. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would protect him, Father, on his journey um, as, a, as a disciple, as a Christian, God, that he would 
uh, be able to use his life for impact, God, that you would use him, Lord, to, to help so many other people see you, Father. Thank you so much for this victory, God. Uh, we know that the angels and everyone are rejoicing in heaven, God, and uh, we rejoice with them today. Father, we love you so much, and we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So encouraging. I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to sing another song, but before we do, introduce yourself to the person next to you. Let's loosen it up a little bit. Greet somebody that you haven't met this morning, perhaps. So you want to just put it here when you're done? Sorry? You want to just put it, put it here when you're done, I guess? Oh. All right. Excellent. Now that we know each other a little better, let's go ahead and keep singing.
morning we have a special guest. We have the privilege to hear from our brother, the one and only Brian Craig. Let's welcome him up. Thanks, have a seat. It's great to be with all of you. Great to, uh, I love coming up here, love getting to worship with the Westside Church. Uh, as uh, Sai said, if you're visiting with us, this is a great group of people. If you just look around, uh, kind of there's something for everybody. All ages, all colors, all shapes, all sizes, all, all demeanors. <laughs> we're, we're a very diverse group and uh, we celebrate uh, that and we love this. I love uh, being with this group. It's so awesome to be together. Appreciate the worship team, Daniel Luna. Everybody doing a great job. I know it helps me connect with God. Uh, as Cy mentioned, uh, if you're a guest today, a lot of us, we weren't here this last Sunday. We were all together with churches, congregations that are part of our fellowship of churches around the world. Uh, we're, we're a part of the ICOC, the International Church of Christ, that's uh, all over the globe. And uh, we were together with the churches in the southwestern United States last week. And it was really cool to, to see people you hadn't seen in a long time, uh, to be able to worship with a lot of people. Uh, it was so much fun. Uh, I, I got to be involved with the music and, and the production side of things. It was, it was exhausting, but it was really fun. And a lot of people in this group were really involved. Keith Rose over there kind of organized the whole thing behind the scenes. Did an awesome job. Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, Turnwall with the red hat somewhere did a lot of the, uh, the music. I mean, did a lot of the video. Almost all the video we saw was Turnwall. Did a great job. Uh, so anyway, a lot of people here were involved behind the scenes. It was a great, great time. Uh, we're going to be talking today. Uh, that uh, th We had a series in, uh, in South Bay where I normally am on Sundays called Love Works, uh, based on a book by Joel Mamby. And uh, we, we kind of took different parts of the book and did a worship series there. And so I'm going to share one of the sermons that I did for that series uh, called uh, Faith to Forgive. Well, I'm giving it that title. Uh, the official title is Forgiving, Release the Grip of the Grudge. That was the the, uh, the, the title in the book. So we're going to be talking about forgiveness a little bit here today. And I want to um, just kind of confess my first reaction when I, I, I was kind of assigned this topic of forgiveness, in case you can relate. Um, you know, I've been in the ministry for about 13 years, and being in the ministry, I, I do a lot of uh, weddings and funerals and, and times where you interact with people's families. And there's been several times where, like I've, I've been involved in a funeral where people have not uh, in, a, in the same family have not seen or talked to one another for like 10 or 15 years. You know that kind of situation? Maybe you have something like that in your family. Uh, in my neighborhood where I live, uh, there's a, a family that lives a couple doors down from me, uh, and the, the head of that household, his twin brother, identical twin brother, lives across the street with his mom, the grandmother of the, of the family, and the two brothers have not spoken in, in, at least we've been there 11 years, they haven't spoken in that much time. Uh, the kids don't get to see their grandmother, who lives literally on the other side of the street. So these guys are two doors down here, and the grandma and the brother are right there. And there's just no interaction because of this lack of forgiveness. And uh, that kind of, those kind of rips happen in families in our society. And, and, and again, if you, if you haven't experienced that yourself, you probably know what I'm talking about. And so when I first think about forgiveness, for me, I had, I've got great parents, I have a great family, I don't have anything like that. And so it's easy for me to feel like, oh, forgiveness, that's not really an issue for me. I, I mean, I, I had great parents, I had a great upbringing, I didn't have a lot of hard things happen to me. I, I don't have, there isn't anybody I don't forgive, I don't really have an issue with this topic. But as I dug into Jesus' teaching on it, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I do need to work on this topic. So wherever you're at today, now you might 
not, uh, you might have issues where horrible things were done to you in your past, or you were a victim of abuse, uh, or, or you were mistreated by someone. I don't at all want to minimize what you've been through. I know my own father was sexually abused as a child, and, and he had a really hard time. A lot of things that he went through in his life uh, were very difficult, and I feel like he was a cycle breaker in terms of his parenting to me. So I really benefited from a lot of the things that he did and the, the steps he made to follow Christ. Uh, so I don't, want, I don't want to minimize you if you have been through hurt, but I promise you that God offers release if you, are, if you do feel like you're trapped in, in a grudge or trapped in a lack of forgiveness. So stay with me. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17. We're going to be spending some time in Luke chapter 17. So if you could be uh, turning over there, and I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Luke 17. God, thank you that uh, your grace is enough for us. Father, thank you for just all that we sang there, just that uh, you lead us, you, you guide us, you forgive us. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, as we look at your forgiveness, it can help us to be people who forgive and people who uh, are able to experience forgiveness uh, that is only possible through you. God, thank you for Jesus who came to give us your perfect word. Uh, thank you for how powerful his stories are, how powerful his words are. I pray that each one of us can grow and learn and change from looking into what he had to say about this topic today. I pray that you'd really speak through me and uh, help me to learn uh, along with everyone else as we look at the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Luke 17, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Jesus said to his disciples... Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. So first thing I see there is, wow, we need to be careful how we treat one another. Jesus takes personally the way we treat others, especially those that are weaker or, or, you know, when we're in a position of, of strength or authority over them. Boy, Jesus really takes that personally. This is very, very strong language. And so we got to be careful. we got to watch each other. That's humbling to watch one another how we, how we treat one another. Continuing on there, he says in verse 3, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So... Forgiveness isn't a matter of not dealing with sin. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't just expect us to kind of whitewash over everything or just pretend like everything's okay. Now, we got to deal with sin in the right way. I appreciate uh, Tim did a lesson a few uh, weeks back about not judging. And, you know, Jesus said, if, if you and your brother are here, and, and, and you got to be careful, if you have a huge plank sticking out of your eye, and your brother has a speck, and you're like, hey, brother, let me help you with the speck in your eye, and you have this, the whole time you have this big plank wood sticking out of your eye. It's just this ridiculous uh, story Jesus told, because that's the way we are sometimes. We can be so judgmental. And so we have to be careful to look at ourselves first. And, and, and so that, that was a great lesson Tim did on that, that we got to not judge. And it's so easy to be judgmental all the time without even trying. But on the same time, it, it, here he does say, if your brother or sister sins against you, you need to rebuke them. You need to deal with it. We need to we need to bring issues to the surface in the right way. That's the community Jesus had in mind. That we don't just kind of uh, not deal with things. We bring things to the forefront. But then look what he says. If your brother sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. 
even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. What do we learn about Jesus' uh, Jesus's view of repentance in this, view, in this verse? What do we look, learn about Jesus' view of forgiveness in this verse? Uh, I mean, it hits me, if, if I think about this in a practical sense, you know, someone in my family, my kid, my wife, someone in my small group, someone on the job, seven times in the same day comes back saying, I repent, please forgive me. Jesus says, you've got to forgive them. Now, the first thing I, f- I would feel is, you don't repent. Don't say that. This is the fifth time today. You repent? What do you mean? You, you aren't repenting. And, and it's so, you know, what would I really do in this situation? Would I have the patience to continue to work with that person? Would I have the patience to continue to, to keep bringing them back to the issue of, of their sin and the grace of God that forgives them? That's, that's a tough one. Now, a side point is, I'm really glad that if Jesus says that's the way we need to treat one another, I'm glad that Jesus has that much grace for me. That if, if seven times in a day I keep blowing it in the same way that, you know, he's going to forgive me, obviously, if, if we're supposed to forgive one another in that situation. But how do you feel about this really? You know, when you think about that idea, your kid, your son, your daughter, your, your, I mean, your daughter or son, your wife, uh, your coworker, you know, seven times being able to forgive that person in the same day. I mean, how do you feel? Look at how the disciples felt about it. Verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. You know, when we think of doing something that takes great faith, uh, what, what comes to mind? We normally think about great acts of faith. I mean, I, I think about maybe going to a, a foreign country and, and, and bringing the gospel to places that have never heard the word of God. I think about, you know, go, going and serving the, the poor and, and, and doing great deeds of, of service. I think about, uh, you know, having faith to, to get the, out there on campus and, and start new campus ministries like some of our campus students are doing and, and, and setting the pace. I think about teens who, who start Bible talks at their high schools and, and there's, they're the only teen in that high school and they, they do a Bible talk. And, you know, we've got examples like that in the audience of, of people who are doing that kind of thing. That's awesome. Those are great acts of faith. What doesn't normally come to my mind is forgiveness. That forgiveness is an act of faith. And, and, and that's the, the apostles saw that. They're like, increase my faith. I can't do this. I can't forgive someone seven times in the same day for the same thing. Why is forgiveness an issue of faith? Um, faith to forgive. That's the, the title of the lesson here today. And uh, why is this an issue of faith? I think because forgiveness is a vulnerable posture. You're relinquishing control of the situation. Not that we can control the situation anyway, but somehow we kind of think we can. And, and forgiveness, it, it requires trust in God instead of man. You're putting your trust in God and not on yourself and not on the other person. It requires you to empty yourself and not take things personally. Uh, you can't control this outcome. We like things we can control. You know, uh, wives, if you have a husband who... Uh, occasionally falls into hours at a time of playing a video game. Why is that? Because we like things we can control. You can control the outcome of the video game. There's something you can do about it. And so much in life is outside of our control. And, and so we like things we can manage. We like things we can control. But, but people are a, a messy business. People have free will. And so if they have free will, they can sin against us and they can hurt us. That's really what God decided to do when he created this universe. He, he created everything 
to lead up to human beings who had free will and could choose to accept him, could choose to follow him, could choose to listen to him, or could choose to reject him. And so that, that, that's a, a vulnerable position to be in. Yet Jesus' response here, let's look back at the scriptures in verse 6. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, it will obey you. I want to talk about bitterness for a second. I don't know that Luke intended this with this verse, but it's an interesting parallel. There's a connection you see in the Bible between bitterness and a root. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14, I'll just put it on the screen there, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. How is, how is bitterness like a root? Well, it digs down deep, and it's really in there. You know, anybody who's, who's done any gardening in your backyard, you know, you know, if you just hit the top of the weed with a weed whacker, it's going to come back. Because the roots are down deep. It's below the surface. There's more below the surface. And bitterness can be like that. There's something above the surface that people see, but there's more down below the surface. And so it takes some work to get, get up. And it, it, it says here, it grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness affects the people around you. And yet in Luke 17, 6, that this same promise of faith applies. That, that you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the heart of the sea. I really believe that through Jesus is the only way we can truly uproot our bitterness and have that bitter root thrown into the, into the sea and have true healing from, from our bitterness. Uh, Harvard re researchers found that mentally nursing a grudge puts your body through the same strain as a significantly stressful event. Muscles tense, blood pressure rises, and sweating increases. Over time, this chronic stress puts the flood of stress hormones such as adrenaline and cortisol can have a dramatically negative impact on the immune system. Really, bitterness hurts only you. It's been said bitterness is the poison that you drink hoping the other person will die. You know, you're just drinking that poison and then just watching. And so many times the other person doesn't even know there's an issue. And it really just hurts you. And yet forgiveness sets your spirit free. Uh, Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years. Think about how long that is for a minute. 27 years. Now, I made a mistake when I was preaching this sermon in South Bay. I was, trying to th I was you know, on the fly. I was trying to think about what, what I've done for 27. You know, what, what's been a long time. I was like, well, I've been married 20 years. And then suddenly I was like, well, I'm not saying marriage is like a prison. And then I started digging myself in. But 27 years is a long time. A long time. I mean, imagine that being in prison for 27 years. And yet he said this, As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. I'd still be in prison. So, so again, bitterness hurts only you. And so if that's an issue, if you feel like you have a, a bitter root, Start with God, start with the scriptures, start with the people around you. Uh, a lot of people uh, do need other help besides just our fellowship here. Uh, professional counseling, counseling is a great tool. Uh, there should be no stigma against that or whatever, like, oh, you don't, you, Jesus isn't good enough for you, you need counseling. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, counseling is a tool of Jesus in our lives. 
Just like, you know, you need glasses. Nobody would say, oh, you need glasses? You can't just rely on Jesus for your, you know, here. Uh, you know, professional counseling is a great tool. But, but we got to be able to get past bitterness. Let's look at a few practical things we see from these verses here in Luke. First, of faith and how we view others. It's an issue of faith, how we view other people. Seeing people f- fresh. I think if someone comes to you seven times in the same day saying, I forgive, I mean, please forgive me, I repent. That's an issue of faith, of kind of flipping the switch again and seeing that situation new. Seeing that person with fresh eyes. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, an example of this is, we have a lot of people here who have been Christians a long time. Like, uh, how many of you guys have been Christians over 10 years? Okay, look around. There's a lot of people who have been around a long time. And so when we've been around a long time, and we're in each other's small groups and stuff, we can start to sort of like take each other for granted a little bit. And we can start to sort of see people a certain way. And and, and, and a test for this is if you think about somebody who is in your group, think about how you would feel about that person if you met them and and invited them to church and they said, oh yeah, I'm going to come this Sunday. They were new. You never met them before. You know, that's a good test for how you view that person. Because a lot of times, you know, if it's somebody new that you met, I mean, you could be reaching. You're like, wow, they have all of their limbs work and they can speak, you know, and they're coming to church with me. It's awesome. This person is awesome. Do you know what I'm saying? If you meet somebody and you're trying to, because we want to be used by God to help other people, but then sometimes somebody can, they're an awesome person, but you're around them for many years and you can just sort of, eh, you get a little jaded in the way you view them. And Jesus intends that we continually look at each other with fresh eyes because we're, we're a part of a, of a faith that we're continually transformed with ever-increasing glory, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 says. We're all being changed into the likeness of Jesus. So sometimes we can even be held captive by the people's view of us, around us, rather than we need to set each other free by constantly viewing each other with fresh eyes. How did Jesus view Peter? How did Jesus view Thomas? How did he view the Apostle Paul? These guys had some issues, didn't they? And yet you see that he, he, he called them higher. He looks at Peter, who is wish, wishy-washy and up and down and emotional, and, and he calls him Rock. Your nickname is Rock. Rock solid. He had faith in people. He believed in people. He saw people with fresh eyes. Uh, I think even people that oppose us, people, family members who are against us or against the church, or you know, again and again, having faith to see those people with fresh eyes. God can work through any situation. God can change any heart. If you look at your own self and your own past and who you were before you became a Christian, you know what I mean? Sometimes we forget. Oh, God can change anybody. I want to read a little bit of a blog posting uh, that I read few weeks ago uh, the title of the blog posting was she yelled at me and called me names it was by a woman named susan basham she says pulling my car into the drive through line at starbucks i wondered why it was a dozen people deep it wasn't raining it seemed everyone was driving through today she goes on she's in this busy line uh i'll skip a little bit but she she uh she's waiting to, to kind of get into the line she sees somebody else that, that pulls up she sat across the parking lot leaving just enough room for a thoroughfare as she too was waiting in the Starbucks line. I smiled and gestured to her. It went something like this. Are you next or am I? Really, I was fine either way. She was not. Thinking I was trying to snag her spot of next up, she gunned her Suburban, rolled down the window, let out a string of expletives that made me blush. 
Go ahead, please, I said. She, and she has all these dogs in her car, the woman telling the story. Uh, she says, I wasn't, sh- I wasn't sure who was first. I pulled Millie back onto my lap so she could see I had been dog distracted and truly didn't know who was next. She didn't buy it. She continued with the name calling without taking a breath. I won't write them down here, but the main mantra shared initials with the number one social networking site. <laughs> then something really strange happened. Instead of getting mad or yelling back at her, a sense of empathy invaded me. I looked at her again, and this time I saw someone different, someone who wrenched my heart. Her eyes were red and puffy. Her hair was pulled back in a natty ponytail. She held her phone in her palm, glancing down at it every few seconds, and she was driving that big old gas hog of a Suburban, my own car of choice when I had three kids at home in a carpool. And she just talks about you know frustration. Maybe she had a really hard day. Who knows what she'd been through, and she kind of goes through that. She gunned forward just to show me that she could. I left her a wide berth, smiled at her splotchy face. She shot me a sideways scowl, mouthed the mantra again. Pulling up to the loudspeaker behind her, I said, I want to pay for whatever that woman in front of me has ordered. And please tell her I hope she has a better day. I meant every word. The woman idled in front of me for a good four minutes, talking to the barista who'd leaned out the window. She shook her head and handed over a bill. She drove around the side of the building slowly. This time, no gunning. Hmm. No takers, huh? I said to the barista as I pulled forward. Nope. She said she couldn't believe you wanted to pay for her drink after all the names she called you. She said she couldn't allow it and said to tell you she was sorry. She felt really bad. Did you tell her I hope she had a better day? Yep. She said thanks that she already has. Good to hear, I smiled. As I drove away, I began to cry, not because I had been called so many terrible names, but because God had answered my very recent prayer, which was that he would allow me to see people as he sees them, not as I see them. That I may be able to see the hurting inside instead of just the hurtful outside. And maybe a few of the tears were in gratitude and amazement that he always shows up with an answer when I sincerely ask. Are you willing to let God shape your view of others? Are you, you know, you have this prayer. God, help me to see people the way you see them. My wife, my husband, my kids, my family, my, my co-workers, uh, help me to see people the way you see them, God. Martin Luther King said, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. Isn't that true? You know, everybody has good, everybody has bad. So it's a matter of how do you choose to see people. Will you see people with eyes of faith? Let's continue on a little bit in Luke 17, uh, back here in verse 7. Okay, are you with me? Luke 17, 7. It says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Now, if you've been around a while, you know, you've heard this story before, this analogy, this, this little parable or, or uh, story Jesus told. I mean, I'd, I'd heard it many, many times. I'd never seen it before in the context of talking about forgiveness. I mean, it immediately follows. So, uh, you know, as Luke was, was compiling these teachings of Jesus, as Luke was thinking about this, there must be a reason uh, why it immediately follows this idea of forgiveness. The, the apostles say, increase our faith. 
Wow, forgiveness is hard. Increase our faith. Then Jesus tells this story. Why is that? Why would Jesus tell this story in response to the apostles saying, increase our faith? It's kind of an interesting thought. I, I know as I thought about that, meditated about it, I think, I think it's because it's not about me. I want to make everything about me. And the, the, what I get from this story is, look, everything is not about you. The kingdom of God is not about you. I, I, I so often just view everything about me. Like, do they like me? Do they not like me? Did I do a good job, a bad job? How, how? Everything is about me, right? And, and what I want and what I'm accomplishing. And, and yet the, the point of the story is, hey, we're just unworthy servants. We're just doing our duty. Now, I don't think uh, Jesus is, is wanting us to just kind of go around you know, unhappy and I'm just a worthy, unworthy servant. I'm here at church. You know, I don't think he had that in mind, but I think if, if we just see ourselves that way, like I don't deserve anything, I'm just glad to be here, then everything above that and beyond that is bonus. But if we're kind of entitled and we're, we're, we're always looking out for, for, you know, our own comfort, our own interests or how everything relates to us, we're never really going to get satisfied. You know, no one can really ever set up the, the, the program to, to fit all of everybody's needs. You know what I'm saying? But if we have a fellowship, a community where everybody's just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just grateful to be saved. I'm just grateful to be going to heaven. I'm just an unworthy servant doing my duty. Then everybody is, wow, I see this person is awesome. And this person's awesome. This is awesome. And this is awesome. You know what I'm saying? If that's kind of your baseline, it, it really makes you grateful in the way you view everything. And the result is gratitude. And that helps us to not take things personally. And that's the second point. First point was faith to see people uh, differently. Faith to see as God sees. And the second point is faith to not take it personally. It requires trust to not take it personally, doesn't it? It requires trust to not want to take revenge ourselves when someone has hurt us, to not want to take matters into our own hands. It requires a lot of trust. You know, revenge uh, is a big part of our, our culture and our society and our our, our movies that we watch and our, our, our books we read. I mean, it's a theme we kind of like a little bit. You know, there's a lot of movies with that revenge theme, that Kill Bill theme, you know? Uh, there's a whole show named after it right now. I haven't seen it, but there's a whole show called Revenge. Um, just to share a story here, there was a, a guy in Afghanistan, a soldier in Afghanistan, who received a Dear John letter. You guys know what a Dear John letter is? It's like the girl he was with sends a letter saying, I found somebody else, it's off. And uh, she sent this letter, um, and, and kind of the end of the letter said this, Please return my favorite picture of myself, because I would like to use that photograph for my engagement picture in the county newspaper. That is rough. So what this what the soldier did, his friends, his friends all contributed. They gave him a bunch of photos, a whole box full. He sent this box to his former uh, girlfriend, former you know uh, woman, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, along with this note, it says, "Please find your enclosed picture and return the rest." For the life of me, I can't remember which one you were. See, see, there's part of us. See, I tricked you because there's part of us that I like that. That's good. Woo. 
That's good stuff. I like that. But you know, the, the bottom line is it, it doesn't, revenge never really works. Any of you have kids and you have more than one, you know it doesn't work. And yet it always happens. You know, he did it first, she did it first, he did it, no, he did and it just escalates. You know, with spouses, a lot of times you, you get into this cycle. The husband doesn't feel respected, and the wife doesn't feel loved. And the husband, you know, you talk to the husband, well, she, if she would just respect me, she's this, she's that, she's this, there's that. And the wife, well, he doesn't care, he doesn't listen, he's all he cares about himself, he doesn't care about my needs. You know, and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back, and it's just the cycle, right? And it requires someone to stop and go, okay, Jesus, <laughs> and, and, and like break that cycle and stop the revenge cycle for, for things to get healed, right? Uh, our, own, our, our kids, I remember trying to teach them really early, we, we had to memorize Romans 12, and uh, uh, Romans 12 was something my parents had us learn, and, and uh, not the whole chapter, but parts of it. And uh, there's a part in there that talks about not taking revenge, and it's mine to avenge, says the Lord. And, uh, but it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So that's something our kids memorized when they were really little. And uh, my son Marshall, he could barely learn to talk, you know, but he, had a, he has a really good brain with, for memorizing things. So he, he learned these scriptures really early. And I, I still remember he, he was probably about three or four years old, him coming, running upstairs, going, Mommy, Jameson's repaying evil for evil. <laughs> and we're like, you're like, you realize that means you're doing evil first, right? <laughs> and uh, it was so funny because he goes, he got all frustrated. And he goes, well, what's that scripture for anyway then? Uh, but, that, you know, that, that can be the way we act uh, with relationships. You know, it's hard to, like, not take things personally. It's hard to let God have control. It's hard to give that over. Uh, just a, a more serious story. Um, there was a, a story of a, of a woman whose, whose child was killed by a drunk driver. And, and, and Matthew West uh, wrote a song, uh, the recording artist wrote a song about this story that Daniel's going to sing a little later when we take communion. Uh, so I'm going to show a video that is him retelling the story of what happened, and then we'll continue. Over the past few years, I've been on this journey of writing songs inspired by the real-life stories that people sent to me. This one story in particular has had a profound impact on me. It hit me kind of hard. It's about a woman who did the impossible, and it made me ask myself if I could do the same. Renee had four kids. Two of her daughters were twins. Megan was coming home from the beach one night with her best friend when their car was struck by a drunk driver named Eric, a 24-year-old kid. Megan lost her life. Eric killed both girls that were in the car. Renee lost her daughter in an instant. Next thing she knows, she finds herself in a courtroom watching this young man, this 24-year-old man, get sentenced to 22 years in prison. Renee wrote to me and said, I now have a mission that I never would have chosen. What she meant by that is that in the years that followed, she began to travel around to schools and churches and different functions, and she would speak about the dangers of drunk driving. But as the years progressed, she felt like something was missing from her presentations. And that's when God put it on her heart that she had not forgiven this man 
who took the life of her daughter. And so she reached out and did the impossible. She reached out to Eric in prison and said, I forgive you. The ripple effects of that act of forgiveness are still being felt today. That young man's life was absolutely changed because this woman forgave him. He said, I can't even forgive myself, and she forgave me. Eric said he found his eternal salvation as a result of this act. One by one, all of Renee's family members followed her lead, and they reached out and expressed forgiveness to Eric. So much so that now they describe Eric as part of their family, like a son to Renee. The story doesn't stop there, though. Renee went to the courts along with her family, and she was able to have Eric's sentence cut in half from 22 years to 11 years. This blew me away. And the reason she did it is so that Eric could have a second chance at life and so that he could join her in their presentations. She told me that now she shares not only about the dangers of drunk driving, but also about the power of forgiveness. It's a powerful story. So, you know, revenge, revenge is powerful, but forgiveness is so much more powerful. And Renee said this, this is a quote from the woman in the story. It says, for a long time I thought that by forgiving Eric, I would be betraying my daughter, or in a way leaving her behind. I thought forgiving Eric was almost like saying what he did doesn't matter. But God showed me that forgiving Eric was the best way to honor Megan and to assure that her loving legacy would live on. And if you think about the example of Jesus, uh, 1 Peter 2.20, if you want to look on the screen here, he says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, like Renee did, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Uh, th this, this text is great for this topic of forgiveness because it talks about being in situations that are really, really challenging. For example, slavery. Slavery was a huge part of the Roman Empire. Uh, it, it's been estimated that as many as half of all the disciples in the first century were slaves because it was a huge part of the Roman Empire. And so what do, what do you do if you're a slave and your master is harsh? That's, that's the context here. You have a, a really difficult master. That would be almost the hardest living situation on earth I can imagine. And yet... It says, it says God sees and he knows and he takes personally. And so if you respond with, with humility and you, you, you forgive, that's commendable before God. Wow, that's hard. And then he talks about husbands and wives and, and being like Jesus in our relationship where you don't allow the other person's sin to control your behavior. You break that cycle of back and forth, back and forth, because you entrust yourself to him who judges justly. That's what Jesus did. He didn't hang on the cross and, and, and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he was thinking how, how great these people are. He was entrusting himself to God. God. God is bigger than this. God sees and he knows and I trust him. And, and that's what makes Jesus Jesus, isn't it? If he was hanging on the cross and they're calling curses on him and he's, he's hanging there cursing back at them or saying, oh, you're going to get yours. You wait. Even if he didn't come down from the cross, if he just was kind of, oh, well, you're going to rot in hell. You know, you'll, you'll see it just takes away the power of Jesus, right? 
And so we, as, as, as his followers, as, as disciples, as brothers and sisters of Jesus, when we have been hurt, when we have been wronged, that's the opportunity that we get to be like Jesus. When we don't respond in kind, when we treat others the way he treated others, entrusting it to God. And it's only through entrusting it to God, like it says right there. Only through giving it to God can you not take it personally. It's impossible otherwise. Uh, there's one more story here before we move on of, of, of uh, Victoria Ruvalo in 2004. She was driving along. These, these uh, young teens, younger teens, he, uh, actually the guy was 17, they had gone out, uh, stole a credit card, they went and spent a bunch of money just being crazy, him and some of his buddies. And they bought a bunch of stuff uh, with this frozen credit card. They're driving along. One of the things they bought was a 20-pound frozen turkey. As they're driving, they throw it out the window, and an oncoming car crashes through the windshield and, and right into this woman's face. It broke every bone in her face. She had to have her jaw wired. She had to have one eye affixed by synthetic film, bolted titanium plates to her cranium. She was in surgery for hours and hours and hours, many, many follow-up surgeries. So finally, the guy, Ryan Cushing, he was being sentenced, and, and the judge's sentence made everybody angry in, in, the, uh, in the room because the judge sentenced him to only six months behind bars, uh, five years probation, some counseling, and public service. Everyone objected except Victoria Ruvalo because the reduced sentence was her idea. She says, I took this ridiculous, stupid thing that happened and decided to make something positive. She publicly forgave him in court. She gave him a hug and said, I forgive you. Uh, she told him, just do something good with your life. God gave me a second chance at life, and I passed it on. And listen to this quote. This is so good. She says, if I hadn't let go of that anger, I'd be consumed by this need for revenge. Forgiving him helps me move on. You know, forgiveness really helps you to move on and to be able to be what God wants you to be and not be held captive by someone else's sin against you. All right, we're going to close out here with the last point, uh, Luke 17, again, in verse 11. Again, think, why did, why did Luke compile it this way? It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The last point is faith to act in gratitude. Faith to act in gratitude. This one guy was so grateful because he understood what had been done for him. And I, I think some of us, we, we, just, we, we forget sometimes, especially the longer we're around, we forget how much we've been forgiven. We forget how amazing God's grace is. Not only that, that forgave us, like for me, I, I was baptized in 1988, so that was a long time ago. But God's amazing grace is not just, because I was, I was in a lot of sin before I got baptized. But you know what? I've had a lot of sin since I got baptized. And it's, it's, you know, it's amazing grace that God continues to forgive me. That his blood is a continual fountain that washes me of sins. And, and I need to every day just return to Jesus like, like this guy did and say, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for forgiving me. And we're going to take communion here in a minute. And that's what I, I would like us to think about as we take communion. is just saying to Jesus, thank you. 
like this leper. Thank you so much. Return to Jesus in our hearts. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for what has been given to me. Because understanding what we've been forgiven of is the ultimate, uh, gives us the ultimate ability to forgive others. I want to share one more story here uh, before we pray for communion. There was a, a woman who was raped in college. And uh, she, it was a horrible thing, obviously. And, and as she was going through it, she saw the face of her accuser. Uh, she tried to memorize his face in her mind. And uh, she, she uh, shortly thereafter was given some photos by, by uh, police. She picked out the guy she thought it was. She picked him again in a lineup. He was sent to prison. Uh, he always claimed his innocence. After a while, uh, there was another guy who suppose, you know, confessed to someone else uh, that was already in prison. And so the whole thing came up again, in, uh, the, went to trial again. And so there was the new guy, and there was the original guy who was claiming to be innocent. She said, no, it's him. It's the original guy. Come to find out over time, uh, DNA evidence uh, came out, and it was the second guy. It was not the first guy. But because our memory is is malleable, like every time you remember something, you're kind of bringing up that file again and making modifications to it, so to speak. So, So her memory had sort of changed. And so she was just convinced it was this guy, even though it was this guy. And, and she couldn't understand it. And so we're going to pick up the story there where, where the, the police officer is explaining what happened. Her reaction was, no, that can't be true. That's not possible, you know. Mm-hmm. I know Ronald Cotton raped me. There's no question in my mind. It was like someone had just taken my life and, like, turned it upside down. She cried. Oh, she cried. She broke down. I mean, she took it all on herself, you know, the guilt. You know, I did this to that, man. But when she thought or dreamed about that night, it was still Ronald Cotton's face she saw. To get past it, she asked if he would meet with her at a local church. I remember him walking into the church, and I physically could not stand up. She was nervous, scared. I started to cry immediately, and I looked at him, and I said... Ron, if I spent every second of every minute, every hour for the rest of my life telling you how sorry I am, it wouldn't come close to how my heart feels. I'm so sorry. And Ronald just leaned down. He took my hands. Oh, gosh. And he looked at me. He said, I forgive you. I told her, I said, Jennifer, I forgive you. I want you to look over your shoulder. And I just want us to be happy and move on in life. The minute he forgave me, it's like my heart physically started to heal. And I thought, this is what grace and mercy is all about. This is what they teach you in church that none of us ever get. And here was this man that I had hated. With, I mean, I used to pray every day of my life during those 11 years that he would die. That he would be raped in prison and someone would kill him in prison. That was my prayer to God. And here was this man who, with grace and mercy, just forgave me. That is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. How wrong I was and how good he is. You know, I don't know about you, but stories help me sometimes connect with, uh, with, with Jesus and the story of, of what God has done for us. And here's a great story, not of, uh, of someone forgiving someone else, certainly of that, but of what it's like to be forgiven. 
and, and she is just so overwhelmed. Here's this guy, she falsely accused, he was in prison for 11 years. And yet he says, I forgive you. He took her hands and says, I forgive you. And she said at that moment, it's like, oh, her heart just broke. And she couldn't say thank you enough. And, and to me, that's, that's an, a great analogy of what Jesus has forgiven us of. It's by his wounds, we are cleansed. You know, we are the ones that sinned. And yet he's the one that went to the cross for us. And that last quote where she says, I was overwhelmed by just how wrong I was and how good he is. That's so true of Jesus, that he is the one, you know, he's completely forgiven us. And that, that should motivate us, uh, recognizing what we've been forgiven of. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Isn't that true? That the she said, I, I, could, I couldn't spend the rest of my life just, just being thankful for what I've, what I've been given. And, uh, you know, ultimately that's what's going to allow us to, to, to be all God wants us to be, is if we have that re recognition of what we've been forgiven of and how powerful Jesus is forgiven forgiveness is the, the second part of the story is kind of what they what they go on and, and do together so i'm gonna show that to you real quick when he can he joins jennifer in her campaign for reforms one of the most amazing things to have come out of this miscarriage of justice is the most unlikely of friendships jennifer and ron say they speak on the phone about once a week they're families of friends they say they have a shared bond that is hard for most people to fathom. Have people ever met you for the first time when you're together and said kind of cheerily, hey, how did you two meet? Yeah. Uh, they have it on the airplane a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I usually just have you tell them. <laughs> well, what you do know. you say? We would look at each other and laugh, you know, and finally we go ahead and, and tell them. Mm -hmm. And they have recently co-authored a book in hopes that their story can inform and inspire others. You know, notice how free they both are and how, uh, how they're working together now to make a difference. And that's, that's what I feel like the Christian life is. It's, it's, it's like those two together going and telling people and helping people. It's like me and Jesus together going and telling people and helping. And I'm the one that messed up and he's the one that forgave me. And we're going to go and tell people together. And so that faith to act in gratitude, to, to do something because of what we've been forgiven of, is so motivating. And that should really should characterize who we are as, as his followers. So we're going to pray for communion and, uh, and, and meditate on these things as we remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, uh, thank you so much for Jesus and his perfect example. His words are so challenging. God, to be able to see people with fresh eyes every day the way that he called us to. Uh, to be able to not take things personally, to not take revenge, but to completely trust in you the way he did. And uh, Father, just to act in gratitude the way he calls us to do. I, I pray that uh, each one of us can spend time right now just saying thank you to you in our hearts as we remember your body and your blood given for us, as we remember what we've been forgiven of, I pray that we can experience the joy of our salvation and uh, the, just looking forward in anticipation to the resurrection and to uh, being with you forever. God, help us to, uh, to have that perspective right now as we meditate and as we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
last thing to give away, the last thing on your mind today, it always goes to those who don't deserve. The opposite of how you feel, and the pain they cause is just too real, takes everything you have to say to Set a prisoner free. There is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through eyes of grace. The prisoner that really pleases you.
It's like we need to take a deep breath, huh? Uh, that was a pretty awesome lesson. Um, that, yeah. Thanks, Brian. Uh, no doubt, we're going to walk out of here remembering one of those stories. And uh, that, that's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, I am uh, going to go ahead and lead us in our contribution. Let me give a little framework. I'm a teacher, so I like to sort of put things up on the whiteboard here so you know what we're doing. Uh, we have uh, two contributions that we're going to take up right now. Uh, first, we're going to take up our contribution for our local work here. And then uh, we're going to see a video on uh, the Philippines. And then we're going to go ahead and take up a, a Philippine contribution. Uh, many of you have been notified through the uh, internet about uh, this contribution. Uh, and then I'm going to explain a little bit more about that as, uh, as we get to that part. Um, I do want to have you turn to First Chronicles. I get the Bible in here. First Chronicles chapter 16. First Chronicle, First Chronicles chapter 16. Let me give you some background of this, what's going on with this section of the Word of God. What has happened is that uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which if you're older like me, you remember the Ark of the Covenant from uh, Indiana Jones and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You got that visual? Yeah, some of you, I keep asking kids now that I teach, like, hey, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, right? You've seen it. Indiana Jones are like, who's Indiana Jones? Yikes. Anyhow, so, okay, it's a classic. So, anyhow, the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? This big gold box that had these angels' wings on it, and inside it held uh, uh, Aaron's rod and the Ten Commandments and, and just, just this really special gold box that had been put together and uh, David and his army carried it out into battle and they won every battle if they took the box ahead of them. Pretty amazing stuff. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 1 through 15. In chapter 16, however, what happens is that David, after all these battles have been done, David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Okay, sort of the city that they've conquered. It's going to be the headquarters or the main city for, uh, for the Hebrews. And um, he is just so overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has done by sort of clearing out the promised land for them that uh, he writes a psalm. He writes a letter to God. And in First Chronicles 16, if you take a look, <clears throat> in verse 7, it says, That day David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. It starts out by saying, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. And then he goes on and he, you know, that page and he goes on, you can read about it, which as a teacher, I want to give you a homework assignment, which I'm very, this just rolls right out of my head because I'm used to doing this. I want you to go ahead and read 1 Chronicles 16. I want you to read this psalm of thanks. Okay. Now, I'm not going to like ask you about it or give you a quiz about it in a couple weeks. But I would like for you to do this. I'd like for you to read it on your own. And then what I'd like you to do is for you to write a psalm of thanks to God. I, just find that time, one of your quiet times that you have. Just pull out a piece of paper and just start writing down thoughts. Maybe you need to create a timeline, which is, as a history teacher, I like making timelines for people to understand where things happen and when. Maybe you need to make a timeline of your life and write down events where God has worked in your life and write a psalm of thanks for that. 
you know, Al has always mentioned to me about how he tries to take the Thanksgiving break to write down, you know, 50 things, 100 things that he's grateful for to remind him. And I try to do the same thing. People's names, things that happen, even difficult things that have happened, so that I can be thankful and I can just be full of gratitude. You know, we had a great weekend. Friday night, uh, we had our youth group family night. And uh, that was really awesome. We had our traditional Thanksgiving meal together. And uh, that was really cool. Uh, we got together and uh, they, um, Tim and Nancy put together a really great lesson for us. And it, they talked about gratitude. And uh, they, uh, Tim did a lesson. And in this lesson, he showed us a quick video clip. And in this video clip, he talked about happiness. And he talked about in this video clip that we need to be grateful. And, it, and just, I'm not going to get into all the details, but it really showed me that, gosh, you know, we need to communicate to people how we're grateful for things that have been done to us. And it got kind of scientific, but the bottom line was that it's good for us to say thank you. It's good for us to write these things down and then communicate them. That's so key. It's so important. That's why when you know, I know when Catherine and I were dating, I loved getting a card from her that not only, you know, it's a card, it's really cool, and it kind of expresses that she likes me and she wants to keep this relationship going, you know, like, keep it going, keep it going, you know, bring on the next date. But it, I get to see written down what she feels about me. And I would do the same for her. And, you know, our daughter found some of our letters that we'd written to each other uh, a couple years back, it was great, it was fine, it's good. And uh, <laughs> no secrets there. But uh, it, it was really good. And she's like, oh my gosh, what are these? Like, you guys wrote letters to each other. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. And like, you know, yeah, these are cards. And it's like, it's really special. Hey, you know what? We, we really groove on that, right? I mean, that's really, this is really special. I got this card, there's special words here. I could read them. And then we can read them over again, and read them over again, and read them over again. Let's do that with God. Let's take the next couple weeks as we're heading towards Thanksgiving to write a psalm, write a, a, a song, write a letter to God telling him how grateful we are for all that he's done. Now, the second part of the weekend was also really cool. That was Friday night. The second part was yesterday. And we had David and Cece Bruce, Bruce come, which they're heroes here in this group. They came and spoke to the marrieds about a little marriage workshop about our, our married life. And it was really awesome because they talked about brain science. They talked about our neural networks, our thoughts, and about how when we do this gratitude, when we share about things we're, ha we're grateful for with one another, and things happen in our brains that are good things. It's really good, and it's good. It's so good for our brains to express our gratitude. As we give a contribution right now, Guess what's going to happen in your brain? Some good things. Okay? The research says that as we give this contribution, there's some like positive action going on in our in our brains. And it and it helps creates good thoughts because we're doing a good thing. Just like if we do bad things, it creates bad neural pathways, neural networks. I wish we could turn the lights out. And I wish we could see each other's brains. Because science says that as we do these things, our brains light up. I mean, they, they, they were able to see by electronic pulses and whatever that there's good things going on. Wouldn't it be so cool to see that going on in our heads? That we're just like, we're giving. We're thinking about doing, having positive thoughts. 
I would imagine in our, con in our, our communion that we just had that our brains were just so lit up. I mean, it's like things going on. We're remembering our baptism. We're remembering the people that studied the Bible with us, the people that took time to share God's word and, and show us Christ's love. I'm sure we remembered the way that God has, has taken us out of very difficult situations that we in our sin have gotten into. We're like so thankful. You know, thank you, God. Thank you for those sacrifices. I'm sure that as we, we thought about the church and how just we appreciate our church so much, you know, that's what the bread is for, the body of Christ, thinking about, man, this is awesome, the awesome team ministry and awesome people that serve and awesome people that are, are my community group leaders, my family group leaders, just how great that is, that our brains are lighting up in gratitude. It's so good. It's so healthy for us. I'm so thankful that we take communion every Sunday so that my mind can deepen those neural networks of gratitude with the cross and not wait for like an Easter service to think about Jesus dying on the cross. You know what I'm saying? And I'm grateful that we get a time to set aside in our services, because we do this every Sunday, where we, we give. And it's a very healthy, positive thing. So let's go ahead and pray. And you may want to uh, just be aware that your brain's going to be lighting up as you think the thoughts that I'm thinking, okay? So let's go ahead and, and light ourselves up here. Dear God, we are so very thankful for all that you've given to us. Uh, we have many, many, many material blessings. Uh, we have cars, we have houses, we have jobs, we have clothes, we have closets full of clothes and, and, and houses full of stuff. You have blessed our lives. The boundaries of our lives have fallen so well, so we're so grateful for the things that we have. Father, please continue to help us in being more grateful and perhaps help us to be even more grateful as we want to continue to give things away. And now as we want to give some of our money to you, to the church, for the good works that happen through our group. Father, we just ask you to accept this contribution. We ask you to accept the very little that we can give in response to our gratitude for you. God, we are so grateful and thankful for Jesus, who set us an example of what kind of a life we should live. I'm sure, God, that as you looked down upon him during the days he was here on this earth, that you saw his brain lighting up all the time as he was in constant communication with you, as he was in constant gratitude to you for his life and for having you as his father. We are equally full of gratitude that we get to call you our Father. And as we give this contribution now, I pray that we can continue a life of giving, not just to set aside time on Thanksgiving to be grateful, but we can be grateful every day that we continue to exist on this earth. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word that continually reminds us of your son and of you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.